Why church? What's, what's going on here? What is the church? Well, last week we started a conversation that's really important because we're rethinking everything. We're rethinking our shopping habits. So many of us who went to stores are now just going more and more online. We're rethinking vacations. Staycation is now the normal, although we're all planning in our brains the trip to the far off. I'll go to Mars at this point. Get me out, right? But we're having to, re- what, is, what is time off? When you work from home, go to school from home, and live at home, when are you actually off? Well, in the same way, I think many of us are rethinking without saying it what church is. What happens when you're not with people for months? What happens when most of it is at a distance and most of it is limited from what we used to have? Are we still a church? Well, we saw last week that church, uh, according to Jesus, is his idea. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the enemy or the opposition won't stand against it. Kingdoms rise and fall, the church remains. Governments rise and fall, the church remains. 2,000 years, the church is still implanted all over the earth. Why? It's God's idea. What makes a church a church? We saw last week, church is about God's truth. How are we going to know God's truth? Well, he's given us his word. Well, who shares his word? It's his people. So we need church to know God and his truth. But it's not just about a library where we learn stuff. This isn't like a hobby club. The goal is that we would have godly relationships. There's a right way to treat people, would you agree? There's a wrong way to treat people. Well, how do we know the right way? Well, together, we center ourselves not on ourselves, but on God. And we allow God to reshape how we think and how we feel, ultimately, so we will live differently. And this is what the church is. How do you embody that in a picture? Last week we saw church is God's house. Jesus is what the Bible says is the cornerstone. It's the, the plumb line. How do you know if your foundation is going to be set right? The cornerstone. Jesus is the center of everything we're doing. And the teachings of the apostles, what Jesus' followers learned from him and passed on to us, that's the foundation. So we need each other to grow in truth And then the Bible says we're being built together into even a holy temple where the presence of God dwells. God is not just out there running the universe. God is right in this building. The presence of the Almighty, and for you at home, he's there in your space. Because whenever we're gathered in his name, he says, I'm there. Why? We're a house. So that means built on Jesus and what he's taught us, we're supposed to fit together. All right, that was all last week. I want to move on with a similar picture that I think speaks to another reality. You could say church is a family. I think that's this, when we look at, we're looking at pictures in the Bible, it's definitely pictured as a house, but church is also pictured as a family. It's not just a structure, oh, like, oh, that's pretty, or that needs a reno, you know? We're not like that. We're, we're actually a family, real live people. And, and Jesus is the one who gives that analogy and direction. If you look at um, Matthew 12, the last couple of verses of Matthew 12, starting verse 46. We'll put it on the screens for you. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside and wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, 
Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? To which being sarcastic, I would say like, them. Because they're like literally there. But what does Jesus say? Pointing to his disciples, not his biological family, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. And, and then he gives us the reason why. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now Jesus here is not minimizing the importance of your biological or your adoptive or your relational human family. He's not minimizing that and saying, who cares about mom? Who cares about brothers and sisters? All that matters is my Jesus people. No, when Jesus is on the cross, you remember? Jesus says to John, one of his followers, this is now your mother. He's like suffering, agonizing pain and taking care of his mom. So Jesus is all about, we should all be about the human relationships that God has put us in touch with. They matter and they value. But what Jesus is saying, looking to the future, to those who will follow him, is together you're actually forming something that's bigger than a friend group. We're bigger than a club. We're not on par with every civic organization out there. It's not like, you know, you have this club and that club and that club and then the church club. No, we together belong to God and his family. And this, this, this is why church matters. It's not just me and Jesus. It's us together in a room or on a screen right now. We're, we're integrated. We are God's family together. But what does that, like, mean? I think this is where we're starting to rethink, okay, yeah, I'm a part of a church, so what? What does that mean? Well, Peter, who's one of those disciples that Jesus pointed to, said, this is my brother. Um, he had this reflection as he read the Bible in light of Jesus. And he read these old ancient texts given to Israel, and he reads them, and he shares them with the church that are now in the Bible uh, that speak to the reality of what it means to be the family of God. First Peter, if you go to the right in your Bible, uh, First Peter, just write it down and look at it later, verses 9 and 10. I'm sorry, First Peter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10. Speaking of family, so in light of Jesus, and by the way, right before this, Peter says, Jesus is the cornerstone of this spiritual house, right? He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, and this next phrase is key, but now you are the people of God, the family of God. Once you had not received God's mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's, what's happening here? Peter's reminding these people that what was spoken thousands of years prior to God's early family. Remember he called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and they created a tribe and then tribes and they became a people and God's purpose was to bless the whole world through these people. And so he sets them apart. All this language, you are a chosen generation, is not like just language. It's speaking to God's people before Jesus the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're a royal priesthood. What's a priesthood? 
What does royalty do? They open the door. So a priest stands between God and the people. So if you want to come into God's presence, the priests are helpful to say, well, here's how you come and know the living God. You're a holy nation. Now, by the way, the church at this point is made up of people from all sorts of nations. But he's like, no, you're, you're not just American. You're not just Latin American. You're not just African. You're not just Asian, whatever. You're not just in your ethnic background. You now belong to a called out holy people living all over the world who belong to one leader, Jesus. You are that that kind of people. You need to remember who you are. What are these pictures all about? The pictures are the reminders of who we already are. It's not like I'm saying one day you'll grow up and be part of God's family. No, you are now. You are now if you belong to Jesus. The question though becomes, are you living as you already are? Or have we forgotten who we are and living in another way? This is the reason why conversations about church matter. We're a family. So we all have a past. We all have issues. We all have stuff. But now we've been brought into the, the international, worldwide Jesus family. By the way, I've been using the word family, recognizing for some of you that's a good word. Like you, you will go on vacation with your family even though you left the house. You spend time with your family, you invest in your family, you love your family. Your family's weird because all families are weird, but you, you appreciate them and, and it's a good thing to be around family. But I have to recognize that's some, and I, I would say in my instance, that's when I hear family, I have all of these positive emotions and thoughts. It's a good thing. And we're very tight, even as an extended family of my wife's family and our family, like we all get together all the time. It's not like we're two separate you know, groups. We're really one. But I know for many, family is a painful word. Family is about people that said things and did things that were just wrong. Um, family abandoned. Family ignored. Family was hurtful. And there's scars instead of joy. So the thought of being caught up, you know, like, okay, I'll be a part of God's house because that seems sterile and neutral. Who cares? But to say God's family, like, oh, where, where God is our Father, oh, man. I, if that's you, there is grace. It's a metaphor. It's a picture of what should be. So, yeah, our human families are ridiculously disappointing. And by the way, if we live long enough and have one of our own, here's what we're going to realize. Oh, wow, we're disappointing, too. So we all have our stuff. But what, what the, the metaphor, the picture is meant to be as if God is the author of it. When God calls into his family, this is like the God family where he, he does no wrong and his name is love. God is love. So what, that's, what, that's the kind of family that we're invited into. So where does this whole idea of, okay, so that's great. I'm in a family, wonderful. So why church? So why are we doing this? It's because church is about godly relationships. How in the world is the world going to know how people should treat one another? Can I just suggest this to you? Like Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations, so the people of God, you and I, have been included. God set aside a people and then said, you know what? It's not just going to be physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, anyone who follows Jesus is now invited into that family. And what I want to do is create 
a way of living that's after my heart and actually makes sense and is good. And other people are going to say, I want that. I just don't know what that is. And his people, us, the church, are going to say, well, it's not us. It's actually Jesus. Jesus has done something in us. So the church is supposed to be a reflection of the Jesus family in the way we live. So there's all sorts of, in the Bible, relationship language. Let me just throw one. I could do tons. Uh, A letter from an older leader to a younger leader, Paul to Timothy. And he's a leader in a local church, but he's young. And he says this, 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 2. He says, don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him, encourage him, like teach him, make him aware of things. As if he were your father. By the way, in their culture, today anyone says anything to anyone in their culture, you would never as a son speak evil or loud to your father. We call them the good old days. When people actually had tact to realize that they didn't start themselves. And they, they respect. So, so Timothy's living in a culture where honoring the old and the wise matters. And if you're younger, you ought to honor. So, so here's what he says. The culture values that. That's a good thing. So, so Timothy, if there's someone in the church who's gone off or needs a little help, you're younger. Just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you could be disrespectful. Honor him. Treat him. Now teach him the truth. But treat him like you would a father. And then he says, treat the younger men as brothers. Hey, you're the leader in the church, Timothy, but you're not the older brother that gets to beat up the younger kids. Treat, treat them like on, honorable brothers. Uh, if they're older women, treat them as moms. The younger women as sisters. And I love his little tagline, with absolute purity. Timothy, uh, how we treat one another in the church really matters. Am I saying that we always get this right? No. Uh, but what I am saying is following Jesus should actually make a practical difference. And so church is a family. Therefore, part of the reason for us to be connected is that we learn how to treat people like Jesus would and not like we want to. Because outside of Jesus, I'm just going to do what makes sense for me. Because I'm the center of my universe. And you're the center of your universe. So do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good. Say whatever Say whatever comes to your mind because you're the most important person. That's the culture we live in. But the reason church matters is because it's actually a better way than that. It's where we look to the author, we look to the father on how we're supposed to treat one another. And, and we go by that, even though I may feel one way, I realize, man, that person's older than me, then I'm going to... I'm going to speak the truth, but I'm going to do it respectfully. Why does this matter? Because we're living in, a, in an age that's vile and vulgar. Look, there was a time where you thought about what you said before you said it. But because of the influence of technology and the ability to get the word out, what's happened is it's created a license for everyone to say everything about anyone without even thinking about the repercussions without even thinking about, would I say that to their face? Because I'm telling you, a lot of the time, what someone will put in cyber space, they would be too chicken to say face-to-face. Or they would be ashamed to say it face-to-face. So, so here's why church matters, because it's not just about loving Jesus. Yes, of course that's important. 
It's actually about showing and modeling to the world what Jesus' people, a better alternative of how to love one another. And treat, so you can actually disagree and be respectful. So it's extremely painful right now. And let's just be real. Especially in election cycles, what you get are Christians yelling at Christians about secondary matters. Christians blowing up Christians. Like blowing them up. Like how could you ever... And if you do this, you're a that. I'm not talking about Christians saying to people who aren't following Jesus. I'm saying Christians talking to Christians. What I'm saying is church matters because if we're not careful, we're going to be a fractured house with walls that are falling apart. And how in the world and why in the world would anyone want to follow Jesus when you can't get Jesus people to even have a civil conversation? So this is not like just secondary stuff. Like, you know, if I have time, like as long as the gatherings from... 11 to 12 before 3.30 kickoff time, then, then, then we're good. What would it look like if we were like, you know what, I actually want to pursue you and I want to pursue this Jesus together because this is going to matter in the way people see Jesus. So the church really, now this isn't automatic. This isn't the kind of stuff you just pick up from, from class or from the culture. Uh, we're living in an alternative culture in that everyone around us is saying, you're the center. We're saying, Jesus is the center. Therefore, I can't, I can't treat you that way. I have to see you as a brother and a sister and a father and a mother. And this is why we need each other. Because this is something we should grow into. Which means, in every family, there are leaders. Now, you don't want you know, to admit it, but in any healthy family, there's some sort of structure. Structure, by the way, isn't bad. If there were five to seven hundred of us in this room and we just said live, no, no rules, just live, it, it, it would be like survivor on steroids. You know, a lot of you getting kicked off, off the island real fast because certain, a few of us are going to rise at the top, right? You need, you need structure. And in the church, God's actually provided it. You may not realize it. Look at Titus chapter 1, uh, verses 5 and following. What? Why does church matter and how do I connect? Well, I need to realize in the church, God has raised up people, men and women, to be helpful, like in the best case scenario, parents are helpful to their children. I realize that does sometimes break down. But in the best scenario, parents are given this beautiful, hard responsibility to help guide kids along, not tell them what to be, but guide them in the way that they should go and keep them from from harming themselves, and in the church you see the same thing. What Paul tells his other leader, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. In other words, a church had started, but it wasn't well organized. <laughs> there were some struggles, relational challenges, real differences. He's like, Titus, I left you there to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Notice elders is plural, more than one leader. And in every healthy church, although the structure may be different, you have a group of leaders, the Bible calls them, elders who are there. By the way, this followed the pattern of Jesus who was a part of a synagogue. And every synagogue which came to worship God together and form community life, the synagogue had elders, leaders who mature in the faith, respected. And he says, every church needs to have leadership. And every church needs to have leadership that's identified 
with certain kind of character. And notice uh, verse 6, an elder must be blameless. It doesn't mean perfect. It means without accusation. Faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, we saw God as God has a house last week, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, and then now the positives, he must be hospitable, welcomes people, one who loves what's good, who's self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. In other words, he doesn't make up his belief system. He actually knows the Bible. So that, and then you see the focus, he can encourage others by sound teaching. Doctrine just means teaching. And refute those who oppose it. So mostly what you see in the Bible when it comes to leadership is not task and assignment. It's character. And this is important because the church is all over the world. The church is in very closed communist countries. It's in dictatorial countries where there's not a lot of freedom. It's in countries like ours where there's political freedom, freedom of speech. The church is everywhere. So the beauty of God is God doesn't say an elder must do these seven things. Rather, it says wherever Jesus' people are, look for people who are like Jesus, who have who know the truth. Now, here's what we know. They're able to understand what God has said, so they're able to communicate it, teach it, and they can encourage people. See, the goal of leadership in the church, I think some of us who have been around it for a while, is they like, leaders are hungry for power and want to control, and that's not what the Bible is saying. Maybe that's how some people have lived, but what the Bible says is if you want to grow into leadership, it's about encouraging others. Leaders, elders have the ability to see things in people that God has placed and to say, you can do this. As a matter of fact, you're doing it this Sunday. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. You can do this. And encourage and build up. Leaders are about making sure everyone in the family is doing their part. That's good, healthy leadership. So they encourage by sound teaching and they refute. This is the way we put it here in our church. Our church is led by a team of elders. And they happen to be here in this, in this gathering. And we put it like this way because it's easy and it rolls off the tongue. We're about guiding and guarding. Guiding and guarding. We want to we guard against things that are wrong. We want to make sure whatever is being taught is true. And so the elder team is thinking about what we're teaching through the Bible next and, and who is and what's being said. And so anytime you hear a message, and I say this often, it's already been through the filter of our elder team. It's been sent out to them. They've literally seen what's on said iPad right now so that we know if there needs to be some tweaks or clarification, it's better to do it before we get up than after. Like, I'm sorry, what was said last Sunday was heresy. That wouldn't be helpful. So, so we, we think, so elders think about, and they also guide. What's the vision, the mission, the values, where... Where is the spirit of Jesus? Because we don't lead the church. Jesus is leading the church. We're just leading under his guidance. Where is it supposed to go? Should we lease? Should we buy? Should we stay? Should we go? Should we expand? Should we contract? Should we save? Should we spend? All of these things are wisdom pieces that come from God. So you need a leadership team 
that says, you know what, we believe by faith. Here's the direction. And then there's other groups of leaders in the Bible and in our church, a group, a group of deacons, men and women who do all sorts of things to practically serve in the church and around the community. Uh, the, the elder team hires staff, pastors and directors and coordinators because we realize it takes intentionality to release you to your God-given calling. So the leaders don't do the work. The leaders help encourage and guide the work of God's people. Does that make sense? And so it's never about like, hey, man, it's my, my job to fill a seat every two or three weeks, and I've done my part. I'm a part of the church. No. It's like in our house, like in, I think, good, healthy houses, everybody does the dishes. I do the dishes. My wife does the dishes. Our kids do the dishes. Everyone sleeps. Everyone mops bathrooms. It's another story. But, but, but we, we, all have, we all have our spots and we all pitch in. Now, now in, in, in our family structure, like in your family structure, some may make more money, some may have more influence, others are younger, others are older. You get it. The thing is, wherever you are, find your spot and, and do your part. You have a part to play. So in the church, our goal as leaders is to release you into the things that Jesus is already doing in you and affirm it, and then also say, that's great, but why don't you just cut over a little bit? Because it seems like you're getting a little over here. But man, and, and, and smiling as God uses you. So that's what the church is all about. We're a family. Another metaphor, by the way, and I won't spend a lot of time on it, but it's almost identical. You could say a family is tight-knit, right, together. Another um, Picture is a body. Church is a body. I'll, I'll read one text on this because it's saying the same thing. Romans 12, starting in verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, or you could say one family with many people in it, and these members do not all have the same function, well, like in a family. Not everyone's a mom, not everyone's a dad. Uh, so in Christ, we though many form one body or one family and each member belongs to all the others so in my physical body you know my hand is useless if not attached to my arm and in a family like for a family to work well there needs to be some unity same thing uh, and now he says how we live in the church if your gift is prophesying prophesy in accordance with your faith if it's serving serve teaching teach to encourage to encourage. We need you. Right now, the world is really harsh. If you have the gift of encouragement, we release you to talk to everybody. If you have the gift of gossip, we're saying, please be quiet. But if you have the gift of encouragement, where you just see any, those with the gift of encouragement just see good in everyone. And they're willing to say, you know what? You are and you can. And, and they build you up. If it's giving, give generously. Leading, do it diligently, showing mercy, do it cheerfully, body, church. The point is everyone has a function, forget about titles. Parents go crazy when it's all about I am dad or I am mom. And, and, and you go by title, I am boss or I am lead this. That gets you in trouble. Actually, we should think of ourselves in the function Man, I am called to serve. I'm called to build up. 
I'm, I'm called to encourage. And so you, my friend, have multiple, not one, you have multiple functions within this community of Jesus-loving people. So the question is, what are the functions? What are the things that God has put in you, and, and are you using them? Everyone's been gifted by the Holy Spirit. All leaders are called to do in some body is to give some guidance and direction so if something goes off, there's some to say, no, let's come back to center. So like everyone has a place or a function, we need to find our place. Church is a house. If you're a window, we need you to have light enter in. Church is a body. If you're not functioning, you know, it doesn't take much for a body to go sideways. I uh, did a little blood test a couple of days ago, and they just pricked the end of my finger. I mean, this is, I think, on Tuesday, and my finger still hurts. I, I mean, and I'm not a baby. Well, I am. But all they did was, I can't even see it. But every time I touch the end of my finger, it's like, ow. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot more of me, but when one part is hurting, it impacts the whole thing. And so we need to see church as the place where we are functioning and if we're hurting, we're connected so that we can receive help in our time of need. The body matters. Um, why do this right now? Because I think increasingly in our culture, and I'm a, a lover of church history, and I just can't see another time in church history where so many people are jettisoning the church and saying, I love Jesus, I just don't want church. Now, it's happened in the past. Whatever's happened, happens again. Okay, there's nothing new under the sun. But now it just seems to be like in mass voice where, no, 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 I love Jesus. I don't want anything to do with, with the church. And they don't even mean like this particular local church because I got hurt here. They mean like, I don't want this one. I don't want that one. As a matter of fact, I don't need any of them. And I just want us to see how hard it is to actually follow Jesus and have that mindset. Because you have been put into a body, and if I cut off my finger, because like, man, I don't want the pain. Let's just get rid of it. The finger will not live outside of the connection to the body. And so in the same way, we need the church, because the church is us together following God. And if you're not connected now, just hear this. It's going to be very hard to receive. Like if I cut the finger off, when it has need, it's going to be hard to receive anything. Uh, but when you're connected, life will come to you when you need it. And um, families suffer, don't they? Uh, I want to throw up a picture of someone in our extended church family. We are a church, but we're also connected with other churches around the world. One of them is a church in the capital of a small country called Estonia. The city is Tallinn. And Anthony and his wife, Laura, Anthony's actually British, but came on a short-term mission trip to Estonia and felt so in love. And God had such a, a work in his life that he ended up moving there. And he's been there for 12, 15 years now. Laura is from the neighboring country of Latvia. And they met at a, a, a Christian event and fell in love. Oh. As I, this was taken right before they were engaged. I happened to be there a few years ago and took a photo of them. Young love. They have no idea. 
um, of the good things in store and hardships. So they got married and uh, wanted to start a family. And they, uh, they had a miscarriage uh, in this last year. And so it's really, really hard. And they're a part of actually our church family. Uh, your giving to God, a portion of it goes to our share fund. And every month money goes to this church because it's a strategic place to share the gospel in one of the hardest to reach places in all of Europe. As a matter of fact, it's been again and again and again voted the number one least religious place in the European Union. It's really hard, but they're doing great kingdom work and seeing young people come to follow Jesus in creative ways. And you're a part of that, but they're hurting. They had a miscarriage, and, and walking through with them as friends has been a challenge. Well, by God's grace, they got pregnant again. So we're all rejoicing, and they're a little you know, nervous because it had happened. Well, two weeks ago, some tests come, followed by more tests, more tests. And I just, um, I was FaceTiming Anthony yesterday. They literally just heard from the doctor, uh, what is today, Sunday? This would have been Friday night that uh, their child in Laura's womb has multiple holes in the heart. And because of that, there's some things happening to the lungs and there's a lack of development there. And because of that, and because of that. And they had a consultation where they basically said, look, we don't know if this baby will even come to term. If it does, it will need immediate heart and probably lung surgery and will probably need oxygen for its entire life. And, 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 and they're like newly married, a couple years. And they're both serving Jesus. And it's like, see, this is why you need family. Because when life takes a turn, God created us to have people that will be the love of Jesus. So here's the cool part in a very hard circumstance. I, I said, Anthony, can I throw up a photo and pray for you guys? When Tracy's like, oh my gosh, please. Uh, we want to pray for a miracle. We're going to do that right now. But here's the, the, the twist of how God uses his church. So the church there has surrounded them with love. Like, inundated them with so much food. There's just two of them right now. They know of another couple that just had a miscarriage and have insulated and just stayed away from everyone. And like, they're just so hurting. So out of the abundance of all that the church provided for them, they literally, I'm talking to them, he's like, we just came back from delivering food to this family because they don't have what we have. See, that's the church, Right? Because God's people are together, not only are Anthony and Laura getting love and care, but another couple who's going through the same thing is getting love and care. And this is why church matters. So let's pray, um, let's pray for them, okay? Lord, we, we don't even have words to express what our brother and sister must be going through. So we're just going to plead with you, Lord, in your mercy bring health and wholeness to this child. We, we're asking, God, that you would do what you alone can do and you would heal the heart and heal the lungs and all the parts that we don't even understand. Would you, out of your love, do a miracle? And God, while you're doing what you do, will you so infuse this couple with peace in the middle of their storm and surround them with the church family Give them words, give them, give them things that they don't even know are from themselves to support uh, them through this hard season. And God, uh, no matter what happens, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. See, see this, is, this is why the body matters. Um, but I've painted a pretty picture about what church can be like. Some of you who've been a part of it for a long time know that the families aren't perfect. Just like your human family isn't perfect, our church family isn't perfect. So uh, I want to speak to that. We're going to hurt each other. It's a question of when, <laughs> right? If you're a part of a church family, just like a biological family, cannot have a long extended meal without a discussion that goes in a heart, hurtful direction. So we got to embrace that we're going to have to work through our differences. I, I want to give you an example of, of one way that we're doing that right here and right now. I mentioned to you at the beginning of, of January, it was the first Sunday of the new year, that we had to remove Brandon, uh, who was our worship pastor and operations pastor, as an elder and from our team because of some things that he had done. And that that was very, very hard. And I think that we're learning that there's healthy ways to do hard things, right? And so here's, here's the encouraging news, because you need to get a follow-up on that. Uh, we've asked them to stay, of which they've said they want to stay and be a part of the church. In order to do that, when, when we harm one another, we must reconcile. That means restore the relationship. And in order to do that, whenever someone has taken something or done something, that's not theirs or is wrong, part of genuine repentance is restoring. Like if, if, you, if you take something of mine, uh, repentance is you, you give it back. You return it. And so just so you know, we, we laid out a process, our elder team, and we've walked with Brandon, and he's responded with genuine, heartfelt Jesus, humility, and done everything that we've asked of him, including... Uh, what, was, what was not his and was taken has been completely returned 100% of it. And, and that's the right, that it's the right way to respond. When, when you're in the wrong, you do the right thing. And, and, and you just need to know, we love Brandon and he's a part of our family, he's a brother, and, and he's not been asked to, to go away. We, we want to receive one another when we respond in that kind of way. This is good news. This means... Family is always messy, and yet it's still beautiful. So we're working through, and, and in this situation, I would encourage you, many of you know their family. Receive them with love and joy. We're, um, we're not happy that it happened, but delighted that there's been the response that seems to be just like Jesus. And, and I want to respond that way. Uh, friend, we need to make room for one another. We are going to get it wrong. I'm going to harm you sometimes, hopefully not intentionally, but I'm going to say some things and do some things that you're not going to like. And I, I'm asking you to make room for me, right? And I want to make room for you because we belong to Jesus. Okay, question to drive our response, and then we're going to celebrate baptism together, is who are your people in this local church? I've been saying the word church. But what I've implied, but I want to make clear, is it's not enough to be a part of the big C. I'm a part of God's global family. That's great. But you know what? My global brothers and sisters in Japan, I don't know, and I don't speak their language, and they don't know me. So they are my brothers and sisters, but my actual brothers and sisters are you. And fathers and mothers are, are you. And so in a church this size, you cannot be connected to everyone, but you should be connected to some. So in order to thrive as God's house, in order to thrive as God's family, let me ask you, 
Who are the people that the Spirit of God has, has, has like led you to, the people you actually have relationship with? Do two things this week. Receive from them. God is giving them things for you. I'm not talking money. It could be that. But it could be words of encouragement. It could be prophecy. It could be leadership. They could have words of instruction. Whatever it is, receive from the people that are in your life who are following Jesus. And do your part. Give. Don't be passive. Be active in your faith. Be looking for opportunities to invest in the people of God. Why? We're a family. We're a family. And so why don't we, as a family, rise to our feet and we want to worship Jesus. We want to sing songs of praise. We want to take communion. Remember Jesus. We want to celebrate Caitlin's baptism and her saying, I am a follower of Jesus and I want the world to know it. And uh, these things are possible because of him. Lord, here in the building and at home, we, we're grateful that you've decided to include us into your global family and into your local family. And now, Lord, we want to return worship back to you. Lord, receive our praise. And God, we want to do our part. Help us, Lord, to find our place and to follow your leading wherever it takes us. And in that, we want to be built into a house where your presence dwells. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said.